nombre es Mary Sue. I'm learning Spanish, but I'm not going to read in Spanish this morning, okay? Remember with me the day that Jesus died. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. These are the words of the Lord, and they can be trusted. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, we love you. I'm so grateful for your grace. I just ask in your name that you would continue to move in this place in powerful ways. I thank you for all the great things you've been doing in services so far. I thank you, Lord Jesus, not just uh, here at this location. I thank you, God, for what you're doing across town. Lord, over and holy Lord, I think I'm grateful for what you're doing um, even today across town over with Andy um, at One Church. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing, uh, Lord God, even, uh, God, even among the refugees with Pastor Calm as they're doing classes now and preparing to move into a worship service at the downtown location. I think of all these beautiful things that are happening right now. And we ask, I mean, even in the breadth of the greater movement, we ask that even in this unique moment right here in this room that you would speak to us personally. If you would, just with a heart and spirit of openness, just ask, say, Lord, let my heart be teachable. Let my heart be teachable. Let my heart be open. Pray for the people next to you. Ask that God would move in their lives too. Pray for them. Lord, speak to them. Pray for the people around you. love you, Jesus, and I'm so grateful for you and your work. Be with us today in your name. Amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you. Great. And Ainsley, thank you.
wherever you're at now. I appreciate you too. She did great. Um, no, it is awesome. And our very own, I get to celebrate it here, our very own Josh Lavender got himself hitched. And so we got some family here. I see that's great. So we've been celebrating that today. Uh, that's a neat thing. We're just so amazed that there's a woman that would actually, no, I'm just kidding. We love him at the time. Uh, him and Megan are wonderful people and we love them so very much. And, uh, and it's great. And the other really cool thing that happened today uh, is we had one of our residents help lead us in, I mean, like literally lead the morning, um, help him put it together and design it, which is super cool. So let me share really fast with you. And then we're going to jump into the message this morning. Um, one of the things that we love at Trinity, as you know, uh, one of my hearts, in fact, my, one of my primary callings is to raise up next generation leaders. That is a core part of my identity. And I've told some of my staff, Kathy, of course, she's, you know, one of my right hand people. I so appreciate you, uh, Kathy. We've done doctoral work together, all kinds. We've had a lot of time together over the years. And um, I've told Kathy and my wife, Leslie, that before I leave this planet, I pray the Lord, I pray the Lord would allow me to send out a thousand pastors. That's kind of a deep part of my heart. I want to launch a thousand pastors out into the world. And, uh, and it's been cool to be able to see a lot of that already taking place. So we, of course, we are always going to make space for re- interns and residents and people that feel called to ministry. And we want to celebrate that and elevate it and cheer them on and launch them out and be so proud of them when they go and make a difference in the world. And uh, whether it is grad school students, whether, wherever they're at in life, all the way down to even high school, when somebody is like, hey, I think God might be calling me into, God might be calling me into ministry. We want to pause and identify and lean into that. And so uh, we have another one of our teenagers uh, that feels like God has put a call on her heart to go into uh, full-time ministry, which is amazing. And so I just want to introduce you to her so we can be praying for her as she begins this journey. So Elizabeth Escalante, come on up. Welcome her, man. We love this. We're so proud of you. And uh, she is, of course, a part of our student department. And God has been moving in her heart in incredible ways. Uh, um, man, you know, even Alyssa, who is leading worship, is one of her mentors. And so just really cool. If you would just share a couple words about what God is doing in your, in your heart. Of course. So I went to a discipleship retreat this past weekend. And before going on this retreat, I felt really overwhelmed and anxious and stressed about what my life is going to look like after high school. And it's a scary thought because I didn't know what college I was going to choose or what major I was going to take or what career I wanted to do. And although I had an idea of what I wanted to do, there's that fear of what if I choose the wrong thing. And um, I didn't want to like choose the wrong thing knowing that it's going to affect my future. And this retreat gave me an opportunity to leave my distractions aside, whether that be social media or, you know, work, school, life struggles I may be facing. And I was able to leave my worries at the feet of God. And he gave me peace and comfort knowing that he already has a plan for me. And all I had to do was trust that he's going to direct that path that he's paved. And I felt like my call to ministry definitely grew a lot stronger after leaving this retreat in hopes of leading young teens and like myself who feel lost or confused or are facing real world problems that aren't necessarily talked about as much. So yeah, I definitely feel like ministry is something that I'd like to pursue in college. I love it. Isn't that awesome? 
And so uh, I just, I could not be more proud. And I, I, even when we were driving between the campuses, we were just talking a little bit about how this next generation of ministers, I mean, they're, it's, it's a crazy world. And God is raising up people with very unique, cool callings to be able to bring the gospel, even in diversity. And so to be able to grow up and, I mean, proclaim the gospel, even in different languages, I just love all of it so much. If you would stand to your feet, we want to pray. Whenever people feel called to ministry, uh, look up here real quick. Whenever people feel called to ministry, we want to pray God's protection over them. Um, we do believe that spiritual warfare is real. And, uh, we, and I, I will attest to it as a person who's called to ministry too, if you didn't know. Um, without a doubt, there is spiritual warfare over that calling and that journey. And so we want to pray that God continues to protect her and, and put her around great leaders. Even I just saw Alyssa walk in, even like Alyssa, that can help mentor and, and guide and lead. I, I love all that so much. Alyssa, I remember when you were a resident. Now you're raising up pastors with us. How cool is that? I love that. And so, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So we, we have residents now raising up pastors. I'm going to get emotional. Uh, it's allergies. Uh, if you would reach out your hands and we want to pray over her God's protection. In the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would protect Elizabeth and her heart and life and her calling. Um, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. And she doesn't. And she doesn't need to know. All she needs to do is be faithful. Just today to lean into you, to listen to your voice. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the enemy. God, I, I ask in your name that you would come against him, that you would silence him. I pray that your sweet, soft, glorious, hope, love spirit would just wash over her and protect her and guide her and lead her. We commission her. She is yours. As we continue to invest in her and disciple her and our team works with her, God, I pray that it would become clearer and clearer as the sun rises um, to the ministry that you have called her to. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Man, you guys are great. Thank you for coming up. So I guess you can take a seat. Welcome, Alyssa, or welcome Elizabeth, and, uh, and let's celebrate her as she continues to lean into her calling. So thank you. For those that are a part of the church and even help give and support and make it happen, you really, you really are a part of being an engine. That's how we plant churches. It's how we launch ministries. It's how we send missionaries. Um, all of that happens by your generosity. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Uh, if you would, you can grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into the text today. And uh, we are going to be in Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. Uh, before we get there, uh, I, I, I want to apologize up front while you turn your, in your Bibles. When I put sermons together and I write them, as many of you know, I start putting together messages about a year in advance. Uh, I lay out kind of the structure where we're going to go, why we're going to go there, and I deliver it to the team. I pitch vision. I start doing research on it. And uh, then when I actually write the messages, I, I put them through a couple of different people. So I have people that look through it and make sure it's okay. And one of the people that kind of look through it is my beautiful wife. I love you. She's, this, she's a psychology counselor. So she brings a heart to it that an academic guy is just going to miss <laughs> often. So I love you. She's in this service. So I get to celebrate you. I love you. I'm glad you're my wife. I'm just going to say that right here in front of everybody. I'm really glad you're my wife. And, uh, and so she often does a really good job of taking my sermons and at times kind of helping them be clearer because uh, I, can, I can get kind of lost in my phrasing from like a class I took somewhere and she can help me kind of clarify that in a way that's just maybe easier to, to take on. And uh, so I'm grateful for that. But today I rejected her advice and I'm jumping straight into the deep end. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry up front. Here's how we're going to do this. If you would, take your hands and put them out in front of you like this. And what I want you to do initially is I want you to just make a tight fist. 
I don't want you to take that tight fist. I just want you to put it up like this. This is the posture that the enemy is trying to get your heart to assume. A life like this. Like mine, my own, don't touch, can't trust, don't let you in. This is the posture the enemy's trying to get your heart into. Now take your hands, put them open and out like this. Like generally, pretend like you're giving a gift to somebody you love. This is the posture Christ is trying to move your heart towards. There is so much spiritual warfare over you becoming this or this. So much spiritual warfare over that. With this in mind, uh, again, I apologize up front. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to a Greek word. Is that cool? Uh, the word is, uh, do you guys know this? In the second service, they called it out. So does anybody know what this is? What is this? Kenosis, that's pretty good, yeah. Um, now, just to be really clear, I'm a history guy, like my doctoral work, I'm a history guy. I am not a linguist, so just be patient with me. Um, yes, I took Greek classes in Hebrew, and that's all fun, but that's not my expertise. So bear with me. Uh, my, I would consider, the more educated I get, the more I realize I am limited in some areas. Uh, but the Greek here, Kenosis, there's a whole theology on this. In fact, if you were to go now and copy this word and drop it into it, don't, actually don't do it now, please don't do it now. L listen, if you you want to do this afterwards, you can. But if you were to drop this into like a Google search engine, you would find a mountain of literature of people trying to figure out what this idea in Philippians, this idea is all about. And some of them even compete with each other, right? There's some boundary keepers theologically. And what does it mean that God sets aside part of who he is, but he's still fully God? And how do those come together? And there's a ton of fight over that. I'm not going to get into any of that today. If you want to go down the rabbit hole of the theology behind this, I 100% encourage you to do it. Like light hitting a prism and it's like spectrum, you get all these different colors that come out. I am going to take one unique angle of this knowing that there's much other that could be covered. So let me just say it like this, one piece of the puzzle. The idea in this is that God generously, that word generosity, everybody say generosity, generosity, that's going to be a core theme of this. The generosity, right, the idea is that Jesus generously relinquished his divine privileges. He didn't cease to be God, he just in a sense like chose not to embody parts of those attributes for a while. Again, you can run down all the theologians that fight over all this, it's complex. But somehow in his divine way, he generously like relinquishes or sets aside his divine privilege for humanity's sake, for you and I, he had this level of generosity, compassion that he kind of like sets aside some of his rights to be able to come down and help you and me be rescued from the sin that is destroying us. Uh, and just to be really clear, in case you don't go search this later and find the, because there are boundaries to this idea. So just in case you don't, let me just say this really clear just to add this in. Jesus is not ceasing to be God when he decides to come to earth. This is very important. Okay, so let me be really clear. He is not ceasing to be God. In fact, I've even got this. I'm going to put this up here. If you would, Norman, 
uh, on the screen. I just want to make this really, really, really clear. Jesus is not ceasing to be God when he decides to come to earth. He is somehow in mystery. Let me just say that again. In mystery, he is generously living in self-imposed limitation for our sake. All right, I just want to pause on that idea for a second. I was trying to think of ways to like begin to illustrate this one unique take on the light coming out of the prism of this generosity of God. Pretend with me that Jeff Bezos in all of his wealth, the dude's got like, I don't know, yachts and boats and jets and planes. And now he's even investing all this money to like download his consciousness into a computer. And he's got like a whole army of engineers and biology people and it's nuts. I mean, think of all the resources at Jeff Bezos' disposal. None of us could really ever come close to understanding how much money he has or he's worth. It'd be weird. Like, it's weird to think there are people on this planet, any material thing that they want, whenever they want it, they can, like, get it. That's weird to think about. Okay, so imagine Jeff Bezos. He's in one of his like multiple helicopters and he's like flying over Uganda, bear with me. And he looks down and he sees like a poor, war-torn, starved area and like a little boy who's maybe like lost his leg and he's starving and he's barely making it on the side of the road. I want you to imagine that Jeff Bezos is like, oh, and he flies over and he lands his helicopter and he climbs out of his, that's how you climb out of a helicopter, I guess. Climbs out of his helicopter and he gets down and he looks at this little boy and pretend with me he signs over all of his wealth, all his money, all his belongings, everything that he has. Pretend that he signs all of it over. And it's like Jeff Bezos is like, hey, listen, I am going to become the starving child. I want you to get into the helicopter and you literally can take everything of mine. It's all yours now. That distance of generosity, you know, for those that listen to this on the podcast, it's like the width of my finger, the top of my finger to the bottom of my finger. That width of generosity, that's how much he descends. The generosity of Jesus, just bear with me. We cannot wrap our minds around this. We are designed by God for consumption of different kinds, okay? So like we have appetites for food. We have appetites for intimacy. And then God designs mechanisms in which those appetites are fulfilled rightly, so like if you're starving and you eat like old moldy hamburger, it satisfies, but not really. And then there's like healthier food and healthier food until you get to the point where there's like, I can eat the perfect version of this to meet my appetite perfectly. Again, this is beyond, we can wrap our mind around. Jesus is literally living in the place where all the beauty comes from. Being present with God is a satisfaction we can't even wrap our minds around. Way more than any Jeff Bezos or human person or Solomon in the Old Testament or 700 concubines and wives or whatever, right? Like way more than any of this stuff. I mean, Jesus is like in the place where all beautiful things come from. And he looks down at humanity and if like Bezos to the Ugandan kid, if that's like the width of my finger descend, Jesus is like his level of generosity all the way down to 
stripped, beaten, mislabeled, and crucified on a cross, that level of generosity is vastly greater. When we talk about kenosis, we talk about Jesus setting aside that he might come and minister to us, it's bigger than Bezos giving everything to some person he doesn't know. It's way infinitely bigger than that. The generosity of God. I'm going to read through the crucifixion, which was read a little earlier by Mary Sue. Thank you. You did a great job. And when we read back through this text again, I want to encourage you. Usually when I teach through this, it's during the Easter season. So it's like Good Friday leading into Easter morning. And, uh, and when I'm walking through this story, I am often paying attention to how horrible the crucifixion was. Right? So I'll go into detail. A lot of pastors do this during uh, the Holy Week, they'll kind of go into this where it's like they're talking about the model of crucifixion and how it was like an evolved torture device through Roman history. And we know, we actually know a lot about crucifixions, not even so much through scripture, but through other uh, literature history documents. And so you can go through like Josephus and Tacitus and other historians, and they talk a ton about this like evolved process of how they were killed. So the cross was this evolved device, not just for death, but for humiliation. Uh, we don't do this when we do like Easter stuff because it would be really awkward, but like what they would really do in real life is they would strip them naked, beat them terribly, spread them out on a cross and had crowds gathered to make fun of them as they were tortured until they died. Perfect satisfaction, generosity, all the way down to that. How much would you give? I mean, like when we're driving down the road and we come across a guy on the side of the road, like he wants to spend, he's like, I need food. And it's like, oh, I got five bucks. And we look at him and we're like, <laughs> I'm not giving you my five bucks. You might spend it on beer. It's like, can you imagine if God in heaven was like, <laughs> I'm not giving you my son. You might make the crusade. Oh, wait, we did use it all poorly. Aren't you glad God is more generous than you? Aren't you glad God is unimaginably more generous than you are? With this in mind, I want to read through the crucifixion, but this time I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it through the lens, the crucifixion narrative. I want you to look at it through the lens of generosity, not the actual death process. See it through the lens of generosity. See the generosity of God. Pay attention to all the little tiny details where God is like, let me help humanity out. Let me help humanity out. Let me help humanity out. See the generosity in the crucifixion narrative. Let's do this. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Okay, so God allows like these natural wonders to begin to happen. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is 
is calling out to Elijah. I mean, imagine this before I keep going. Use your imagination. See the moment in your mind. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and then he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Whoa, that would be interesting. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Why did these people say it was the Son of God? Because of all these miraculous things that God let them see. There were also many women there. There's so much generosity in that statement. Oh my goodness, God, thank you for your grace. Looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. God bless your word. Let's meditate on this. Meditate, oh, let's meditate on this text for just a minute. God generously gave what was most valuable to him. God generously gave what was most valuable to him. He gave his son. Now, now, hang on a second. Like the other, we, we have five kids. So Noah, Nathan, Emma, Kara, Julia, number five. She was our surprise. And so uh, actually the other day, I hope it's okay that I share this. I shared it in all the other services. You're just now finding out about it. Sorry, honey. Um, with all of our kids, the other day, Leslie and I were getting ready and she was a surprise baby, Julia was. And so as we're getting Ready, Leslie looks over at me the other day and she was like, by the way, I forgive you. <laughs> and I, again, being a normal man, I have no idea that I was even in trouble. And so I was like, forgive me for what? She's like, I forgive you. Julia's good now, I guess. So uh, we, we officially now welcome Julia into our home fully. It just took a couple of, <laughs> or forgive me. We always welcome Julia. I was the one in hot water. So anyways, all that to say, uh, we were talking about Julia and enjoying her and it was, it was actually a very positive thing. And we got downstairs and I'm playing and little, little, little Julie Bean, she comes running around and daddy, daddy, and she runs over to me and I look down at her and you know, just out of like compassion, loving heart, I look down at my little girl and I was like, I want you to know you're worth more than a million bucks. Like just being loving, just whatever pops out of my mouth. You know, I love you worth more than a million bucks. But like in reality, she is. I mean, like if somebody was to break into my house and be like, I don't have a million bucks, so I'd be in big trouble. But if somebody was to break into my house and be like, give me a million dollars or give me your daughter, it would be easy for me to be like, take all the money, take all the money. I love her way more than, and, and you see this even like with parents who have kids that get sick and a parent's like, listen, if you need to take a kidney, if you need to graft some skin, if you need some like bone marrow, whatever you need, you can literally chop me up for the sake of my child. And so God generously gave 
what was most valuable to him. He gave his son. God gave his son what was most valuable to him. The other thing that I would say too from this as we think about this text, Jesus gave of himself. He gave of himself. He went from glorious heaven to tortured innocent victim to rescue us from sin. Again, just think of the distance from like Bezos to the Uganda kid, from Jesus to help us. That's, that's way bigger. Jesus also, the next one I want to walk us through, Jesus generously gave his body. He gave his body. I mean, think about this. Some of us are so terrified of things that can happen to us physically. Jesus gave his body over to be mocked, stripped, mistreated, to offer salvation to the very spiritual rebels who were doing these terrible acts. Think of the distance. The level of generosity from God to us. Another thing that I would say that's so important from this, right? In John's account, there's so many more than I could even cover today. But in John's account, John 19, 28 through 30, he records that God fulfilled all the prophecies that we might trust and accept his salvific work. So like, if you go through all the prophecies of the Christ, the Messiah, and the Old Testament, God fulfilled all of these, not because God needed it, but because we by nature are so closed, so close-hearted, so prone to doubt, so prone to not trust, so so prone to resist and fight and push. God poured out fulfilling all of these prophecies, not because he needed it, but because we need everything possible to help us go from this to this. And then the continued attempt of God to help us move from closed off to open hearts that are, no, I can't. I mean, this is, this is actually why C.S. Lewis says that the keys to the door of hell, uh, it's locked on the inside. It's people that are just, they're just so me, mine, can't. It's like, you got to go from this to this. From the top to the bottom. I mean, what a great way to show the generosity of God to humanity. From the top to bottom, God tears, there's so much here, this could be a whole other sermon. God tears the temple curtain in two. He literally rips apart the symbol of separation between humanity and God. You know what's really crazy? It's humans want to stitch it back up. The generosity of God. And then the other thing, man, like when we see this text, God generously displays natural wonders to help doubtful people believe. It literally says in the text, a list of all these wonders. And then the Roman people are like, whoa, this has to be a God. God didn't do all these natural wonders like an earthquake or going dark, right? Like an eclipse or something. God didn't do these things because he needed it. He did it because we're so close-hearted. He generously gives all kinds of different things from all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different manners to help us just go from this to this. Will you see it? 
the generosity of God. And, and, and I love this. I mean, this is crazy. God generously gives back intertestament. So in between testaments, old and new, uh, God generously gives back intertestament leaders from the dead to help people believe and accept the gifts of salvation. Can you imagine it? I mean, like, Leslie, when Julia was born, I was in the hospital. This is kind of a hard season for me. When Julia was born, we were literally in the hospital as they were having the funeral for my grandmother, uh, who was a major part of my life growing up. And so, like, I was watching. My brother was, like, on his phone FaceTiming us so I could watch my grandma's funeral while I'm, you know, holding my brand new just-born baby girl. And so we named her Julia Dorothy because literally like my grandma's going to heaven as my baby's coming down. And so it's like high-fived each other. I don't know, right? <laughs> like, hey, you're up. So namesake, we gave her the name. But can you imagine like we're doing Thanksgiving dinner and we hear a knock on the door and it opens and there's my grandma? No wonder this is recorded. And grandma comes in and she's like, you guys, it's all true. I mean, this is how a poor person from a small community with no money, no wealth, literally ended up with billions ultimately of followers because all God generously gave all of these wild, unique proofs not because he needed it, because we did. It is all the generosity of God. And then one of my favorites, one of my favorites, Luke 23, 42, this is one of my favorites. Uh, it records that Jesus gave us presence with himself right at death. If you read through the Old Testament, let's be honest, it's kind of scary. It's like the whole she-hole, the holding place of the dead, and what is all that? And nobody can really pin it down, and some theologians have different ideas. You know what happens in the New Testament? Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. So believers, you know one of the greatest gifts that God gives us? The moment you die, the perfect embodiment of love and charity scoops you up. What greater gift? It is the charity of God. Okay, so let me ask a question. Let me ask a question here. What does this immeasurable act of generosity mean for us? What does this immeasurable act of generosity mean for us? Uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to go pretty quick here. Teach a little more theology than I want to, tr trigger warning. That's the phrase, right? And they use these days. I will offend a lot of you in about five minutes, five mic minutes. So it might be 10. Okay. I'm going to offend a bunch of you. I love you. So before I get to the punch, what does this immeasurable act of generosity mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I want to show you a picture. And um, before you stick it up there, so no, not quite yet, Norm, but before you stick it up there, I, uh, I was thinking about this sermon here a few weeks ago and, you know, putting some finishing touches on it and how am I going to do this? How am I going to put it together? What do I want to cover? And for those that have been in the church for a while, you know, I start working on my sermons long in advance. Uh, but as I'm coming closer to the time when I need to get it out and get it ready for people to translate it and all and media and tech, all the stuff that has to be done with it. And I'm thinking through the message. Um, I had a huge aha moment. 
I'm thinking about the generosity of God and how he works. And all of a sudden, my brain went back to, you know, Dr. Shank's Greek class. And my mind went to like over, and, and I remember doing uh, uh, the Hebrew stuff. And I, and I remember jumping over to like systematic theology. And I remember my classes back in. I remember like my history. And I remember, this is when my brain starts going to all these different parts. Have you ever seen those movies where it's like a guy's trying to solve a crime and all of a sudden he steps back and it's like, there it is. All the parts are there. I had a moment. I, I'm serious. I had a moment. It was so, I was emotional. I was in tears. I had a moment where I was remembering like my Hebrew and the Greek and the classes and the history and the context, systematic theology and going through the books and linguistics and the translations. I'm going through all this stuff in my head. And it was like, I stepped back and all of a sudden it was like, oh, there it is. And, and I wanted to write so bad. So I took, I took my journal it's actually this one right here, right over here is the page. And I took this journal and, and I was like trying to find a quiet place to think. I have a, we basically have an orphanage, right? Except they have parents, right? It's like, we have kids everywhere, right? There's, kids are absolutely everywhere in our home. So I sit down in my office like, daddy, can I get in? And then I go upstairs, it's like, hey, can I get a popsicle dad? And then go down here and it's like, oh, you know, Julia needs to change her diaper. She's still not potty trained. I'm like, I know I can't hold this. Like, all the noise everywhere in the house. So finally, this is true, I went up to my bathroom. I know. I went to my bathroom. We have like one of those two-stage bathrooms where it's like the toilet's in a back room with a door. And then there's like the, the middle bathroom that has like the shower and the sinks and stuff. So I go into the first part of my bathroom and I pull the little pocket door closed. And I'm like, oh, I got to get this out of my head. And I sat down on the ground. And it was uncomfortable. So this is true. So fully clothed, I, I jumped into an empty tub and I sat down and I, and I this is a little embarrassing, and I, and I drew this sitting in my tub. Okay, now, I know we have, a, we have a kind of a nerdy church. We have some academic people here. I am a history guy. My Greek and Hebrew is really messy and sloppy. So bear with me. I am not a linguist, right? I'm not a linguist. My Greek and Hebrew is a little sloppy. So I'm sitting in there, but I'm remembering all the classes. I'm remembering my professors. I'm remembering the systematic theology. I'm remembering all this stuff. It's all coming in my head. And I drew on there like this. So the top left corner, I know this is so sloppy. Make fun of me later, please. I drew on the top part of the left, right? I'm remembering like the whole idea of Emmanuel and the theology around, what does that mean? And it dawns on me, the cosmic breach is healed by, it is literally the generosity of God that heals all of this brokenness. And then it dawns on me like, the cross is the ultimate form of charity. And then it dawns on me, like I'm thinking through like Trinitarian lens and all these different things. I remember I had a whole class on like theory and theology. I won't go down that road. And so, and it just dawns on me the interconnectedness with these. So like the ultimate wealthy is like God the Father, presence with him. That is satisfaction to its fullest. And it pours out to the poor through the cross in Christ, which is us. And then God moving in our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes in and it gets pushed out to the, the people of the world. And then I think through like, you know, they, they call the shy, theologians called the shyness of God, how God the Father is always pointing to the Son and the Son is always pointing to the Spirit and the Spirit's always pointing back to the Father. And I'm thinking through that and that lens and then it's like all of a sudden it dawns on me. I remember doing a class um, on C.S. Lewis. I was, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan, so I did a lot of extra classes on him. He was a theologian that deeply, you can't even really call him a theologian technically, but he was one that deeply impacted my heart and he doesn't think that the word agape should be translated love. He thinks it 
should be translated charity, you know, or like compassion, charity. So it's like an outpouring God giving to us. So I'm thinking about like agape. I'm thinking about all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking about like the Old Testament classes and the idea of a heb, right? So anybody, any Hebrew people here at all? No, that's okay. Well, then I don't feel bad if I say it all wrong. And so like, you got to remember that from classes years ago and how hard that Hebrew word is to translate. In fact, it's so difficult. This is the metaphor that's used in the Bible. Think of a mom. So the very bottom of that, the Hebrew below the Greek there, the Hebrew, think of the bottom of that. You're holding a baby. Think of a mom holding a baby. That baby only takes from you. Can the baby help with chores? No. Can the baby help pay the bills? No, it makes bills and makes chores and poop. They make everything. All the baby does is take from you, but you know how a mom feels towards a baby? Unbelievable compassion and love, and the baby can't do anything to deserve it. The baby was just born into it, and the baby can't do anything to really give back. It's only the compassion. That is Ahab. That is what saved you. It's the relentless charity of God. Right? And then I'm, I'm thinking about like through my classes. So I'm thinking about like the, the, the perichoresis. I feel so sorry. If you go to the top right. And again, my, my, I'm, I'm very sloppy in Greek. I'm, I'm a history guy. That's not my, so all my doctoral work was more of that. But like to walk in generosity. So like I'm thinking about like the whole, what they, some, some theologians call the cosmic dance. So if you follow, and, and I told you I'm geeking out today. This is all the stuff I would cut out of my sermon. Usually now you get it all. Sorry. And so I'm sitting down and I'm thinking about, so like if you follow, if I believe it's a Greek Orthodox thread of history in the Greek Orthodox, I've got a metaphor, like a visual metaphor for the, for the Trinity, like the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And so if you go below the cross, right there, the heart and the cross, and you see that it's supposed to be a picture of two people dancing. I didn't make that up. It's a history thing. And the picture, this is so beautiful. The picture in history is that there is this cosmic dance, love. And the spirit surrounds them and they're in this dance together, constantly sharing and enjoying each other. And if you look below them, so if you follow it back that direction in the picture, what comes behind their love as they dance, this glorious eternal dance, what follows behind them is the creation of the worlds, the creation of plants, the creation of animals and the birds of the sea and the fish the water and then out of the land comes the animals and out of the, comes the dust and the dust is formed and makes humanity. What follows behind this cosmic dance is life itself. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting in the tub in all these classes and all this education. I'm sitting back. If I was going to make a tattoo, if I don't have a tattoo, but if I had a tattoo, Kelly, where, I, I thought I saw her earlier. Kelly, she's our graphic designer. Hi, Kelly. I'm going to embarrass you in front of everybody. Kat, uh, Kelly's on our staff. She is the coolest ever. Anything that looks good, she made. That's the stuff I make. So um, if I was to ever get a tattoo, Kelly, I'd have you like make that middle thing into something cool and I get like right on the back of my shoulder there. And so like I'm looking at all this and I'm realizing the charity of God is everything. The second thing that I would point out, and we're going to go real quick. I'm going to invite Alyssa and Ainsley, whoever's coming up, come on up. I'm going to pull this to a close here pretty quick. We must realize, and this is the part I told you there would be an opportunity to be offended before I finished. 
we must realize the enemy is vehemently working to make our hearts cold towards giving generously to the kingdom of God. You know one of the primary metaphors, illustrations, teachings that Jesus continually goes to in the Bible? You know what he teaches about? He teaches about money. Do you know what the enemy wants all of you to be offended of? When the church talks about, so it's odd. It's like the number one complaint the church gets is to not teach about one of the main things that Jesus teaches about. Isn't that like, that's spiritual warfare. Don't teach about what the Bible teaches about. Let me say it like this. The enemy is vehemently working to make our hearts cold towards giving generously to the kingdom of God. Satan doesn't need your money. He needs you offended so your heart is like this because this is what destroys you. This is what destroys you. So he'll use a billion different ways to have you be offended. You're going to pull up on the side of the road and you're going to see that poor person asking for help. And you're going to think, they're not going to use my five bucks well. I'm keeping it. And in a little itty bitty tiny way, you find a way to do this just a little, little bit more. Or you hear some story of some church or pastor or organization or not-for-profit that used money in a way that, and you use that as another excuse to just a little, t- a little tighter, a little more, and a little, where it's, it's yours. It's, it's yours. And you sit in a fence. Aren't you glad that God wasn't up in heaven and he was like, they're not gonna use, Jesus, you're gonna give all this stuff even your own life, you're going to give them access to brutally beat you and kill you. And they're going to make the crusades. That's it. Stay up here. It's not worth. I mean, no, aren't you glad God is more generous than you? Aren't you glad God is more open than you? There is going to be massive spiritual warfare over your heart being like this or like this. That is a huge part of spiritual warfare and it'll come at you in a million different ways to be offended. Uh, Let me keep going with this really quick, really quick. I have heard hundreds of stories of families. So like you will bump into families who do amazing things for the kingdom of God, right? So like there's common thread. They all embrace the level of kenosis. Let me say it like this. Uh, Just a few minutes ago, we had on stage the wonderful, amazing Elizabeth Escalante. Is she still in here? Hi, Elizabeth. You're still here, so I'm gonna pick on you. I'm sorry. Once you officially feel called to ministry, you can be called on. That's just how it goes. So uh, she's feeling called to ministry. She's now thinking God's working in her heart. She's gotta wrestle that out. What's that gonna look like? Did you know, Elizabeth, one day, this will make me emotional. Alyssa, was you? And it's like, I remember Alyssa, it's like, Alyssa, one day 
you are going to be speaking life into the next generation. And then one day you will be speaking life into the next generation. One day you're going to be working as a youth pastor or mentor or leader and leading more people. Like heaven's going to get bigger. You know who's going to pay for all this? Somebody in this room is going to go, I want to help make that happen over and over and over again. Your capacity to do this is going to come because somebody in this room is going to choose to have a heart of kenosis. Set aside something that rightfully is theirs. That could be debated, but I'll just go with it. To make space to be generous for the kingdom to grow. Everybody that I've met, and and by the way, our church has some amazing people who are wildly generous to the kingdom of God. That's how we plant churches and, and launch missionaries and mentor kids and keep expanding our residency and intern program more. In fact, I challenged my staff. Where's Kathy? Kathy and I, we're working with our team. I'm so, I so appreciate you, Kathy. Kathy, we've challenged it. We want to double our residency. I came in the other day, it made me emotional. I was like, I want to double my residency program every year. Whatever it takes. The kingdom's got to grow. This is, this is a, a, a moment in history where there's so much spiritual warfare and people are so depressed and so lonely. This is such a ripe opportunity for the kingdom. I'm just thinking, I was talking with some of the seminary people the other day. I don't know if Jamil is in here or not. It's like, I want all, I want all, all send all of your students. I want them all. I want to teach them to love the church. I want to teach them to love people and raise them up to change the world. I will give everything that I can to help make that happen. All these people that help do this, they all brace a level of kenosis. Let me say it like this. They all limit themselves. Holy smokes, I went long today. Oh, sorry. They all limit themselves for the sake, I'm almost done. They all limit themselves for the sake of generosity. They break, let me say this clearly, they break the bond between income and consumption. Do you understand how hard it is for people to break the bond? It's like the more income, the more consumption, the more income. They're just like, they're attached to each other. And you know how hard it is for people to break the bond between income and consumption and to go, you know what? We will choose to live at this level And God, whatever you give above that, I'm going to help change the world with it. Do you know a few people do that? People that self-limit that they might participate in giving. This is the nature of God. This is charity. 1 John 4, 8. Like that's the beautiful, the matrix as it all comes together. It's like, oh, there it is. So let me say it like this, all right? Would you consider a kenosis? down with your wife, maybe just, if you're single, sit down before the Lord, both of you maybe together before the Lord, and go, you know what? Here is where we will live. And we're going to pray that God pours out that we might participate in that generosity too. Isn't it odd that like it's okay for Ford or Chevy 
to ask you to support what they do, but it's inappropriate for the church to do it? Why does it feel that way? Spiritual warfare. Why is it okay for PETA to go, save the cats? But if I get up here and say, help me raise up another pastor, it's like, that's inappropriate. Don't do that. Spiritual warfare. In your heart, if you're offended, ask the question, why am I offended? And if you're offended because you're like, well, I saw this person on the side of the road that I gave to use their money in a way that wasn't, just remember, go to Jesus and go, Jesus, I can't give my little bit. What do you have to say about your giving? I'm too offended. I'm afraid that this won't go exactly how I would prefer it to. I don't think they're going to spend it the way I exactly want them to, so I'm going to keep it. Take it to Jesus. The whole point of Philippians, the kenosis grand text, is not Jesus, or it's not, it's not Paul saying, here's what the theology is. It's saying, be imitators of the generosity of God in every aspect of life that you can. This is why pastors say giving isn't only for the church, it's for your, do you see it? It's a discipline to cut the powerful bond between income and consumption. It's a way to see the needs of others over your own conveniences. God offers, God offers this idea called a tithe. And I get it, I'm a young theology guy. I, I'm still young, I'm still young, am I still young? No, my wife says no, Kathy gives me a this. I don't know where I'm at. So like, as a younger theologian guy, um, ish, whatever that is now. The word tithe, people are so offended by it. And in the modern way, we say, don't use the word tithe. Tithe is an Old Testament thing. And in the New Testament, it now says, give out of a cheerful heart. If your reason for defending tithe as an Old Testament practice is so that you can do more of this, you miss the whole point. In the New Testament, it says, give out of a cheerful heart. What it's saying in the New Testament is, give more not just give because of duty but I want you to give till it actually changes your heart in fact the greater context says give until none have need the New Testament is bigger not smaller because it's all of you not just a little discipline God offers the idea of a tithe as a discipline to begin a life of generosity I told you I'd bother you give me a Sunday to go really nerdy and be offensive I'll be back to nice Mike next week. All right, I got I to be done. If you would, grab the next steps card. They're in the back of the chair in front of you. I don't have one with me. I'll grab one of these. Don't read it. Grab one of these. And I just want you to take a moment and write out what God is speaking in your heart. What is he asking you? Don't just listen to the message. The whole Philippians text, don't just know the theology, be imitators of it. What is he speaking into your heart? Take some time, reflect on it. Hey, I love you. Thank you for letting me be passionate today because you know I'm not usually passionate. I really do love you. And I want you to know the joy of disciplines that do this to your heart. Go ahead, take some time, reflect and write.